Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. And this is Jonathan. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of going from the depths of the earth to the grand vault of heaven and always finding something new to do. I didn't know this was here. Ooh, look at that. Look at the view from up here. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier. This week, we are... Uh, we're, we don't actually have a topic like we normally do. We are instead going to talk about how we have pushed ourselves as game masters, in, uh, uh, not as players, but as game masters in the last two years. Because, you know, COVID, a lot of opportunity to do new and unusual things. So, a lot of gaming groups kind of went, eh, and a lot of stuff doing remotely, but you know we always say that uh, that gaming on the frontier is about you know, not only just bringing the awesome to your game, but also you doing things that push your limits, that push your boundaries, things that you've never done before. And we're going to talk about what we've done in the last two years that we never did before in all the years that we have been doing gaming of various kinds. But I'm going to hand it back off to you guys. Who wants to go next? I don't know. That was kind of my whole shot there with the five campaigns and everything. I mean, I, that that for me was just a massive undertaking. I mean. I'm out. The only other thing I've got is um, something I've mentioned uh, a few times on this podcast before is the, um, the Fringeworthy campaign I've been working on. Yeah, I remember you mentioning that, yes. Which is, you know, kind of the inspiration for the you know, non-Earth Prime Trangeworthy campaign episode. Oh. Which should be coming up soon. Uh, I don't think it, it's, it hasn't been released yet, but it should be coming up either before this one airs or shortly after this one airs. Um, but it's about a group of um, fringe refugees from a Melor Hell who get rescued by uh, a Tremelon engineer brought to the prime world and unfortunately and no one at the time realized that not even the engineer was the melor that started the hell had already escaped to the prime so these group of refugees arrive immediately you know they try and stay undercover but some of them let the secret slip and that hey we're from an alternate world you know there are alternate worlds out there but unfortunately there's people high up in government who know this very well and want to keep them quiet and ah. so of these refugees of which there were maybe 10 eventually only two survive and manage to create a tech company about the likes of say google mixed with apple mixed with tesla yeah and discover a, a fringe portal because although they were not fringe with themselves, they they knew of its existence, and so they find a portal, so to speak, 
and start their own private fringeworthy exploration team. Um, but so the big challenge was like, oh wow, this is already kind of convoluted. So that my biggest challenge has been trying to say, okay, how can I simplify this? How do I want to play this? As far as do I want the players to actually have because theoretically the idea being the players are literally the first people from this world onto the French paths, at least awake. So they will be the ones discovering all the properties of the French path and the, and the French portals. Do I actually want to play that in session? Do I want to do that as play by email or so, but yeah, putting that whole thing together and plotting out how that campaign will play out. You know, because the idea being that this company is wanting to send people out not to explore primarily, but to find weapons and technology to bring back and not only get rid of the Melor infesting this prime world before it goes belly up, before they can start an apocalypse there, but then maybe also hopefully maybe retake their original uh, alternate. Ah. But that's that's been a an on and off uh, challenge for me figuring out how to put all that together. The only other thing I have other than that is I've also been designing board games in my spare time. Hmm. I I do have something else that just came up, and it was how I wrapped up the previous Saturday night game. Uh. And it, for me, it was thing because I had to, it. I basically wrapped up my the Bureau Thirteen game where Fur was playing the Victorian era Druidic High Priestess who became a modern day virologist. Jeff was playing Starfleet Officer in Section Thirty One operative from the Kelvin timeline, which is on the fringe paths. And Breakman Z was playing a common writer. Japanese archaeologist who found a common writer belt. <laughs> so I, oh yeah, no, I did that. See, and more stuff I had to research, damn it. Um, oh no, try the Z, tip of the iceberg. I've got other dementia buddies who are far more into the, the Sentai and the common writers than I think Z got some help from uh, my buddy who, uh, co creator of uh, Mighty Magiswords, Kyle Carosa, TV's Kyle. Anyways, I decided to wrap up the campaign with a time travel adventure that somebody went, that my my big bad, that they later got to kill because, yeah, you changed our lives. We had to go back in time to make sure we either existed at all, survived to this point, or became bureau agents. And so when I had Fur here in my living room and Z and Jeff on the Skype, or on, yeah, on the Skype, I said, okay, Evelyn, you're back in the year 1895 in this starship you appeared in, and you're hovering now over the ZMEX starport of 1895. Jeff and Z go, wait, what? <laughs> and I could just hear collectively, like I call my apartment here Command Central. Z and Colleen, uh, Pixie's mom, call their place Casa del Geek, and Jeff is the Battle Bridge. I heard the Jaws hit the floors of both Casa del Geek and the Battle Bridge because I threw this time travel adventure at them. And I had to sit there and figure out, okay, 
if my NPC were to never become a Bureau agent, Jeff's character coming from the Kelvin universe would have died because my character wouldn't have been there to rescue him. And if I just intercept Z's character with this, then he never becomes the common writer and, you know, you kill him off. So I had to plot all this out. I had to dig back into my own continuity to make sure I'd encounter myself with these divergences in the timeline. And because Fur's time bopping, she was in the old, okay, the, the gnomes in space campaign I told you about. She was in that originally, and then she wanted to move to the Saturday. So, okay, 125 years in the future. So I had to sit there and go through two campaigns worth of my bureau game <laughs> to make sure I didn't screw this up to wrap up the campaign with a bang. <laughs> because I wanted these three to go out because Josie phased out and Colleen phased out and Ramsey's phased out. So it was just these three. I wanted to wrap up this campaign in grand style. And what better way to realize, wait a minute, what do you mean this and I'm dead and yeah, what? And so first character having been given some time powers, getting shunted forward. You know, I kind of gave it, okay, you know that the timeline's not right. You start doing research. You start doing this and realize, oh, I got to go here, here, and here, travel through time and rectify these events. And then it's like, oh, this SOB did this. We're going to, and they hunted. You remember the fugitive movie with Tommy Lee Jones saying where to hunt uh, Richard Kimball, Harrison Ford's character? I want every heart and hen house, dog house. Lot house, steakhouse. I mean, that was it. They, <laughs> they definitely they... go to the steakhouse. Oh, oh. now I'm hungry. Thanks a lot. I, I just made myself hungry. Damn it. Um, but no, they, I mean, I did that for an evocative reason. They already hated this guy because he was like my NPC. Daniel Stewart from Bureau 13. He made a second team candlestick and this was the result of it. And so, oh no. Uden Triar, oh, we hate this SOB. We're hunting him down with a whole new fervor. And it was this time travel campaign. Once they realized their histories had been altered, I heard them. I mean, Fur, yeah, she was like, oh, just give me that look. Like, oh, you're good. And just Jeff and Z, they're like, nope. They put this SOB to task. It's like, oh, you alter, you go back in time and alter our lives as a final middle finger. Oh no, you're done. They killed him off with no hope of me ever resurrecting, which is fine. The character was played out, but I had to sit there and do time travel and research two of my previous bureau campaigns to make sure I, you know, went out with a flourish. And that was just something done like last month that I came up with it like in a day. But I wanted these guys as characters to go out big. Well, so, yeah, that was my thing. up a campaign big is a really hard job. And we've talked about that on yeah. the podcast before, that finishing up a campaign, you know, is really, really hard. Because you don't want to in a lot of cases. Sometimes you have to because you're burning out. But you want it, but no matter what, you want it to really get do justice to all the effort that's gone into it so far and to the player characters uh, that may not, you know, may no longer be played. Yeah. Oh, no, no. They were brought in too. There were nods given to the various characters because I explained, okay, yeah, if 
my character just never be- got into the situation that he became a bureau agent, that he just, yeah, okay, he lived out his life, la-di-da. Yeah, and I had to point out, okay, this character would have been in this fate. This character would have been in this fate. Uh, this particular villain would have, oh, in five years, he would have destroyed the world where it was just basically a hell's, kind of like the nightmare scenario in the DCEU, you know, Batman in the future with the trench coat, the injustice storyline that Zack Snyder tried to bring oh, in. Yeah. yeah, I basically made that with the big bad that Ramses gave me. And I said, yeah, see, if Daniel was never a bureau agent, all this stuff would have come to pass which means these characters would have never been found or they would have never made bureau agents or they would they would have died. So yeah, I laid it all out there. You fixing this ensured that everything you guys have done in the game for the past two years stays. And of course it's, well, we know who we are, but who's this other character that you talk about? We don't know of this Satoshi Takara, this archaeologist in Japan. Look him up. Yeah, they found him, you know, body in a dumpster in Chiba Prefecture in Tokyo with his head crushed in a way that was not humanly possible. Something or, you know, somehow crushed this guy's head to where it was pulped and they found him in a dumpster. And it's like, and Z's like, wait a minute, I didn't sign on for this, Trav. What the, you know, but I had to plot out and figure out all these various little variances in timeline. And then Evelyn and then Daniel and, of course, Silas, you know, Jeff's character. And once everybody got together, that's when. Kill this being, won't you? You know, so, yeah, that was something else I had to come up with. And as I said, I had to pull out old notes from the previous campaigns and my fanfic that I wrote that Rich allowed to be canon and just, yeah. So I really had to dig deep in like the course of maybe a week's time to pull that off. And they were all satisfied with it. After they after they fixed things and got everything, you know, where they didn't really, wait a minute, I'm what? Once they righted everything, everything was right as rain. They enjoyed it. And I, I said, that's how you end a campaign. And they, all three of them agreed. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. So, but yeah, time travel usually gives players and GMs headaches. You got to, know how to pull it off right or otherwise it just you end up passing out ibuprofen to everybody yeah or you do what i do which is to send them far enough into the past that you don't have to worry about things like continuity well see i use a particular system there's um ogl book called temporality by dark horse games and they give you the concept of variances and it also measures how far you go back in time. And if it's a big enough variance, you could totally wipe out your campaign world, thereby causing paradox. I mean, this this book don't play. And I mean, they give you basically the only way to go back properly in time is invisible, intangible, and flying over everyone so you don't harm anybody or even interact with them. So it sounds I'm, like your, uh, if you use that that particular book, time is not elastic. Time is no, divergent. no, you, you can cause divergences and do the thing like in Back to the Future with the Eastwood Bridge. You know, <laughs> what's your name, boy? Clint Eastwood. What kind of stupid name is that? You know, and just yeah. But no, they do this thing with divergences and they got uh, minor, major and greater. 
And if you really like, yeah, I go back to 1850 in my hometown and burn down a, a school. That's a greater divergence. That's licensed for me as a GM to go, yeah, you just totally destroyed your campaign. Your great, great grandfather never, and therefore you weren't born and all this. Hi, welcome to Paradoxville, resident you, you know. So, yeah, I use that, and so far it's worked out, but that's how I plotted out messing with Evelyn and messing with Silas and messing with Toshi and messing with Daniel because my big bad, Udin Triar. Imagine a magic-using humanoid unicorn version of Emperor Palpatine. (laughs) That's pretty much what Udin is, and I've been using him since, like, 1997. And just, yeah, this is, I, I dragged him into the Bureau 13 thing, the fanfics I did that Rich said, okay, yeah, put the, and that's the flavor text of Team Candlestick in Bureau 13 OGL. It came from these, like, God, nine different stories I wrote in the early 2000s. And just so I had to research them to make sure I didn't step on my own toes. Just for, to wrap up a campaign. So, yeah. But I, I, with this episode, folks, it it I I like the episodes that we do every so often that gives all of you listeners insights into how mine and Bruce's mind and Jonathan's mind and back in the day, John Blix, Josie, Amber, how our minds work to give you greater insight into the people that have been bringing the awesome to your game now for 12 years and counting, Bruce. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's nice for you to get in our heads for a little bit. I mean, you don't want to stay there too long with mine, no, but no. yeah, ugh, yeah, I felt that shudder from here, Jonathan. And you've <laughs> only known me like not even a year. Um, I was just thinking of my own mind. You don't want <laughs> to stay here. <laughs> well, yeah, it just yeah. Great place you, to visit. You wouldn't want to stay. Right, right, right. Just get the t-shirt and get the hell out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, I, Come with I, me, I, yeah, you'll see. A world of pure imagination. Mm. <laughs> and you know Another how that movie talent. you know how that yeah. movie turned out, right? <laughs> hidden talent, folks. Oh. I didn't know he could sing either. Um, <clears throat> well yeah. not my best rendition of it. Well, oh hell, a lot better than I could. Um it's like uh, oh you're dancing over there, Trav. No, trust me, there's no dancing going on here. Um but yeah, I do like it when we give this insight back to you to know how we think and how we roll, so to speak. So, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, moving on to another one of my uh, experiments. As as I can hear him raising his hands evilly. Yeah. Yes. Uh, as I mentioned, I have two campaigns that I run. One is Bureau 13, and you heard the uh, crowning... Uh, uh, achievement I've done in that for you know uh, recently, but there's another game which is called Fringeworthy, uh, and anyone of course who's been in this been listening to this podcast anytime knows that what we're talking about. But um, I decided that I really wanted to push myself as far as characterization was concerned because I'll admit freely the characterization is one of the things I have a really hard time with. Uh, I do have a tendency to always. Uh, uh, you know, play like a character out of Heinlein, you know, the the old man kind of thing. 
know, you know, the wise sage, whatever, you know, the the uh, the very reliable types of characters, you know. Uh, but I is don't... this kind of who uh, Bruce? Is this kind of who you base your your iconic bureau character that I know of, Father Gill, as? Yes, probably. Okay, all right. Father yes. Gill is very. I mean, he's. He's very, very stable and reliable. You know, he comes yes. from a boxing background, you know, and, but anyways, the, uh, so I really wanted to push myself. I, I, I wanted to really, you know, challenge myself more than the character, the players, though I was going to do my very best to challenge them too, because they're all a bunch of, you know, middle, at this point, middle-aged, uh, you know, role players who like to get into a groove with their character and you know they tend to be very iconic and such so i said all right you know we're gonna we're gonna try to do something quite a bit more and so i decided to run an adventure where their job was to take some fringe born camping on a world with dinosaurs Oh, no, no. What could possibly go wrong here? I, I think this is... Uh, wait a second. This is, is, did you not say that at the beginning of the last thing I started talking about? <laughs> yeah, you notice that pattern? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. roll like that. But you know me. Um, yeah. Jonathan, you know why well, don't sir. you explain to our listening audience who the Fringeborn are? The Fringeborn are basically the, the children or direct descendants of the first... Fringeworthy from Earth Prime and its and its allies, the children who were born with the knowledge of the fringe paths and all the wonderful things that happened and yeah because they were born to um, fringeworthy uh, parents who probably went through the gate while they were pregnant are inherently fringeworthy themselves. They are. I don't want. I don't want to say the best of the best, but they are definitely the most educated of the educated. Yeah, like, they they had they got schooling on different worlds, and they know of the cultures and some of the things of the fringe paths that basically stuff passed down from the previous generation, their parents, and you know the people who created Hatsumi Basin. Oh yeah, we've done episodes on this, folks. Look back. Right. Yeah. So the, essentially, they are children who have been immersed in the idea that they are going to become adventurers. Essentially, it's like being in a military family where you know that you're you're going to go to West Point. You know you're going to become, you know, at some point everyone's expecting you to become a general or an admiral or something. Okay. So these People are basically, they, they are the hopes and dreams of the worlds from which they come from. And so, no pressure, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and so I had four characters, four players. Uh, so I gave them each a, uh, and I got, let them choose, by the way. I let them choose these kids. Uh, which one, and they are, uh, which one they were going to be, who, the, the primary person to shepherd this Fringeborn adventure, this nascent uh, explorer, and uh, of course, you know uh, these children are all fourteen years old. And I'll admit that you know most of my career, I started gaming. Unlike Jonathan and other, I started gaming in my twenties. 
Uh, therefore, I always played an adult. I was an adult when I started playing. Um, I, I played with other adults. Um, you know, I mean, generally, you know, we, and only, and only when my son was born and I, and I started getting him involved, did I ever play with a child. Okay. But I never played, but he was a child playing with adults. I was never playing children. This has been my first time really, really playing children. Okay. And not just little kids. I mean, these are by definition precocious. We're talking teens, precocious teens. Oh, yeah. You know, who basically know that, that they are hot stuff. And they have to deal with, you know, the, 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 the other characters are legendary explorers. We're using the Savage World system for them. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. These kids are nowhere near their level. Okay, but the point is, is that I I needed to make them as challenging as possible. So, here's the characters: Morwenna Catherine Zeus, a 14-year-old teenager who enjoys cycling, duck herding, and football. She is considerate, but also somewhat sadistic and a bit greedy. She is, and she's from the uh, uh, the. Edwardian world. She's a British Christian. She's in pretty good shape. She's about average height for her age with light skin, blue hair, and green eyes. And she has a tattoo of a bookshelf on her upper back. Uh, uh, moral? Not at all. Loyal? Sometimes. Generous? Sometimes. Extrovert? Not at all. Compassionate? Sometimes. Hobbies? Like I said, cycling, football, reading, adult coloring books, learning new languages, relaxing, worship, and going to the movies. Her favorite foods are donuts and, and, um, and flavored ices, otherwise known as ice lollies. Okay. <laughs> Her, um, the second character uh, is Wenna Chloe Pigeon, a 14-year-old teenager who enjoys photography and watching sports. She is conniving, always looking to take advantage. She is Argentinian. She's in pretty good shape. Average height for her age, light skin, green hair, and blue eyes. Uh, she's, her interests, escapology, competitive dog grooming, badminton, listening to music, going to movies, charity work, and spreading fake news on Facebook or other forms of social media. And she likes to podcast. Okay, I'm already getting a vibe here, and I don't know if it's just me seeing patterns, how I'm wired. Okay. These kids sound like damn brats. They are. <laughs> now we go okay, to the, I just wanted to be now sure. we go to the male characters. Boris. Boris is a smart teenager who suffers from a severe phobia of feet. His name is Boris Simon Gump, 14-year-old teenager who enjoys tennis, ferret racing. Uh, he's smart and generous, but also could be very untrustworthy and a little bit evil. He's a Pax Romana Christian. Oh. And he's obsessed with jazz. <laughs> he's not in great shape. He needs to lose quite a bit of weight. He's average height, light skin, gray hair, and brown eyes. He's, um, uh, let's see here. 
uh, already told you about, you know, all of them, moral, not at all, by the way. <laughs> it's like his hobbies. Uh, uh, oh, and you and think about what I just told you about Wena. His hobbies are tennis, ferret racing, checking news stories against Snopes. What does she like to do? Post fake new news. Oh, post yeah. fake news. Going to movies, glomping, worship, yoga, theater, and meditation. He says uh, his favorite food is chocolate cake. <laughs> and then finally, we have Sandy. Sandy Philip Chen, a Tazeel. And Tazeels are the are the the big lizard uh, like creatures from the 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 uh, a, the alien worlds. Okay, he's an, uh, he enjoys bargain hunting, cycling. He's exciting and friendly, but he can also be very unkind. He is a Jedi. He considers himself to be a Jedi, and he defines himself as pansexual. He's he's uh, a slightly overweight, but otherwise in good shape. He's very tall with olive skin. He has no hair and green eyes. His uh, political views are far right. A far right Jedi. To zeal. My roommate just said flat out, that's a Sith. <laughs> <laughs> His hobbies are swimming, spreading right wing propaganda, baking, watching television, binge watching box sets, and eating out. He has a phobia of bees. He's obsessed with Star Wars. And he loves to eat crispy tofu. Okay, see, see the far right thing. Okay, I have friends who are friends. that crispy tofu. Okay, I don't like. <laughs> and I'm not trying to be mean to our vegetarian friends before anybody starts on that. Just all right. Just, yeah, but still, just wow. They they okay. are they are being mated up with the the player characters. Who one is Sakura, who is a uh, uh, a mech pilot. Okay. From uh, a, a world way far out, and she's uh, she's from the uh, uh, Japan of that world where they have steam powered mechs, which has been of course changed into a nuclear powered mech. Now, okay. that's uh, she got uh, uh, Morwenna Catherine Zeus, <laughs> the uh, Edwardian. Uh. Okay, Wena went with Talik, uh, who is a um, one of those extreme sports fanatics. Uh, he loves, to, he's a daredevil. Uh, uh, the player, of course, loves technology. He's the one who has all these weird uh, uh, Tamellar artifacts. Boris went with Big Brothers from the uh, Bioshock series. If you know that game. The oh, ones that boy. have a big drill for one hand and, yeah. you know, and, and fires weapons with the other and is a big environmental suit that he never leaves. She's uh, he's with that one because you know they they thought he needed that Boris needed protection, and then finally Sandy, uh, the uh, Tazeel, is under the wing of uh, of Kytus, who is a wait for it recruit from the Egyptian Christians. Oh no! Yes. <laughs> During that whole adventure they had putting a stop to them, they, they he he basically changed sides and they recruited him into into Fringeworthy. And he has the guy who thinks he's a Jedi. All right. There is a term 
that you know something that's just a bad mess and it's hot a mess. cluster it's, it's a, a cluster hot, it is a hot mess <laughs> there is a, a term that goes beyond cluster and it's goat rodeo yeah this whole campaign is a goat rodeo it absolutely is and i'm trying my very best to just have these kids pitting these adults against each other trying oh, to get oh. away with anything they can not to mention fighting with each other. You know, I mean, they are used to being with each other and, and working with each other somewhat. But they also push each other buttons all the time. I mean, when at one point just outright punched Boris in the face. <laughs> just because. Because, you know, it's something he said. You know, and um, it, it's all good, right? <laughs> so, anyways, they're on a world with dinosaurs. The dinosaurs are intelligent. Oh, the uh, the the so far four times this has happened. They don't and where some large meat eating dinosaur has come walking up has come walking up to the group and looked at him and says, "Okay, which one of you do I get to eat?" Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been it's been. I mean, all they have to do is basically take them on a camping trip. I told them, this is your job. You go to this world, you take them on a camping trip, you show them some stuff, you basically work on their on their skills, you know, th that they need in order to be adventurers. Do the stuff you're supposed to be doing all this time, of course, they haven't been doing. They're trying to get these kids to do it. <laughs> Meanwhile, the kids are like, well, you do it. You're the experts. Show us how it's done, oh, great explorers. We'll just, we'll just watch. Instead, in other words, don't do anything, you know. Oh. oh, it's been so much fun for me. I have just, I, I have run them ragged. I, they, they have, they have gotten themselves into trouble and had to be rescued so many times. Um, I mean, there's, it's just been, but the player characters have been doing lots of stuff against themselves too, you know. The last thing that happened was they decided to flee the land because. They ran into a group that was so large, they really didn't think that they were going to be able to like not beat them off when they wanted to eat them. And they basically built a boat and went out into the water. And they had to build a boat from materials that was around, you know, using the equipment that they had in their backpacks and things like that. And we're talking late campaign. So they had some crazy stuff in their backpacks. The kids, yeah. the kids are pulling out stuff. That they're like, what? You know, it's like, yeah, you guys can have this. Why don't you have these things? The kids were all constantly doing that. What? You've never heard of this? Why don't you have this? This is stuff easy. This stuff's great. So, anyways, it's, it's me basically, tw you, know, you know, twitching the knife a little bit on these guys, saying you're all playing legendary characters and you still go around with no gear, or you know, yeah, you think think big, <laughs> think bigger. I, I I, I have I I have noticed this, Bruce, and I know these are all your friends and everything, and I you know one of them I interacted with. Yeah, you played, but with I have I have noticed that they still they and no slight against your friends, they think small still. Yeah, the whole Forgotten Realms campaign that just and yeah, this has been my ongoing challenge. I'm trying. I keep trying to raise their imaginations try to get them to try stuff they're so, and they're so terrified you know i mean i 
I, I've, I've only killed like one character in like the past five years, yet they still think they're going to die every adventure. <laughs> I guess that's good. I mean, I'm doing a good job, uh, you know, but at the same time is that they, sometimes it's like, would you please do something, you know? So anyways, they, and so the real challenge here again is for me to, is to try to do my very best to represent a 14-year-old correctly, okay? And I did have a 14-year-old, in my family, my son, okay, so I did have an example, okay, not that they're all carbon copies of him, please, no, not in, in close, but his friends and the other people that he, and what I heard uh, about, yeah. I mean, I'm basically doing, I learned a lot about 14-year-olds, you know, and a little bit of my past, but I'm just saying, it's yeah. been a real challenge to, to do this, and I've really been challenged myself and them with this, and so I feel very proud of what, I've been able to accomplish uh, as hard as it has been. And it has been so hard. <laughs> so, uh, but it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. And they, every time I say, yeah, and, and Sandy, you know, uh, it starts wielding his electrified spear as a, like a lightsaber. And they're like, he's doing what? You know, or he says, I, he's standing there and he puts his hand out and he says, I'm, I'm going to use the force, you know? And the thing is, is that uh, we we're using the drama deck uh, from uh, Steve? Uh, uh, oh, Steve Wallet. Yeah, 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 yeah. One of the cards in the drama deck is is that for this session you get to use a, a psychic power that you do not have. Oh. <laughs> Sooner or later, it's going to work. <laughs> or they're going to end up on a world where it does work, or something's going to happen. He'd be like, uh, but he's, but he also believes in the whole the Jedi philosophy as well and stuff. So it's, um, I, I'm basically, you know, I'm one with the Force. The Force is with me. Yeah. I'm one with the Force. The yes, force, yes, yes. Donnie Yen's character from Rogue One. Yeah, Chirrut. And he's incredibly fearless. I mean, he just runs into dangerous situations. They're constantly yanking him back, you know. So, uh, and of course, Kytus is supposed to be like that, except the fact that the player isn't as, uh, uh, it, it doesn't basically, is, isn't as, um, I don't know, uh, uh, spontaneous as, as, uh, as his character probably should be. Anyways, so that's what I've been doing for a, you know, quite a while now. And since we only play, you know, Fringeworthy every other week, um, it's uh, because of of another player. He is, his limitations. Um, it's it's been really challenging to do this, and uh, I've had a lot of fun. And and I used a uh, uh, for anybody who's saying, how did you come up with these really bizarro characters? Okay, there, I've actually used some of the online character builders that are out there. Some of them they're just more generic. Oh yeah, I remember a few of these you've used over the years. Yeah, yeah. some of them were really good. Others I'm just like. Well, no, you, I mean, you never can take everything, you know, you have to edit it, okay? You can't just yeah. take what oh, they yeah. give you. I mean, you know, otherwise you're just basically taking the campaign that they that they wrote the thing to do, you know? So, uh, but I was able to, like, you know, with different religions and different personalities. I think it's interesting that all of them are occasionally nice, but a little bit evil. And I'm, like, saying, that's a 14-year-old. What am I? That's perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I and and all of us have had them, so we all know it's true. So, but uh, that's been a real challenge uh, that for me, and and I feel real good about that. So that was my big fringe worthy 
thing. That, and I'm still doing that that particular adventure, by the way. It's uh, because, like I say, we only play every other week. So they're, uh, they're now, uh, you know, about to go to an island that they wanted to, to, to escape all these dinosaurs and trying not to, you know, and hoping that th things will be a little bit more settled when they get to the island. <laughs> I don't know why they should know it's not going to happen that way, but whatever. They can dream. I do have a number of other adventures that um, I was thinking about talking about, but we probably don't have time for that. Passing it back to you guys. What, you know, uh, in, the, in the amount of time we have left, let's talk about what are the things that we find really challenging to do and what we still need to, we need to work on, what we really need to, um, uh, for us to basically grow as GMs. What, what other things do we need to work on? What we you mean? What we feel that our weaknesses are as a GM? Yeah, if you want to call it weaknesses. Oh no, no, I'm I'm willing to call it a weakness because I mean we are human being, despite us being GMs of no small experience, each the three of us, we are still human. We still make mistakes. We hopefully learn from those mistakes, and I. Right now, those of you who listening and, you know, give me crap about my ego, I'm about to really, you know, dump some serious truth on you. I have the ooh shiny problem. I get a new PDF or new book. I see it and I throw The roommate can go right back in the room. Like we, like Habibi would say, go to your room. Nobody likes you. Just stop. Just go, go watch a movie or something. He's sitting there acting like he's snickering from around the corner of the door here. I do the ooh shiny thing. I will get a new PDF or a new book and I will immediately throw it into the campaign without realizing the repercussions of doing so. I need to stop doing that because there are a few times or somebody's convinced me of a new book, not mentioning any names, Carrie, and it's totally just jacked up a campaign. It is just either jacked up a campaign or the players don't like a particular rule or what have you. I have to stop the ooh shiny. At the very least, I have to research my stuff better to make sure that I see the implications of using it. Is there something that you uh, feel that you really need to work on to encourage something in the players is there is there anything Ooh. that that you think you haven't been able to really get them to to get that you really really need to work on getting them to be able to to do i guess the closest thing you could consider to that bruce would be i try to do the overlapping campaign arcs that touch on each of the campaigns that i'm running where it's kind of like the summer comic book crossover where you have all these heroes together and they share issues because there is some overcompassing threat or plot device that touches on each of the campaigns. And of course, with how mine are, it's multidimensional in nature. I've tried it before and a lot of them have fallen flat. Although... I have found something which it shows promise and it is um, 
the Alluria campaign setting, and it's this thing where it's mist surrounded by Greco-Roman pillars, and if you go in the mist, you can end up randomly in another dimension. I'm trying that to see if that'll work, but usually when I try to do grand encompassing multi-campaign arcs where there is the possibility that campaign characters from some campaigns will meet others, I they always seem to fall flat. I don't know what I'm doing wrong, and as a game master of 30 years, it's starting to get on my nerves because I'm like, I can figure this out. Come on, Trav, get it together. So I think that's the thing I would like to do is to learn to get the concept that touches on other campaigns that simultaneously where they might end up, you know, Jeff's Death Eater on my Saturday night game might meet up with my NPC from another campaign and they interact because of this this mist area that I've put now in at least two or three campaigns. So I multi-campaign plot devices and administering them properly, I think, is my biggest issue. Because I would like certain characters to meet just to see how that plays out. Okay. Yeah. Okay, Jonathan, how about you? Uh, I think the the biggest problem I've had for my maybe my entire gaming career and... Uh, if I've gotten better at it, but it's still something I'm, I'm constantly working on is I either completely plot out an adventure or a campaign to great detail and it ends up kind of playing dry and not very exciting, or I hardly do any pre-planning and I just fly by the seat of my pants and it usually ends up being fun and exciting and trying to get better at meshing those two together, like getting the pre-planning so the story progresses in a rational, logical way, but keep the the fun and an improv so that it is still exciting and fresh. And I've, I've always had problems figuring out how to mesh those two. And I think I've gotten better over the years, but it's still an area I strive to get better at. Because I want to have these grand campaigns that have that play on these themes and and motivations and and plot devices, and yet still have that sincerity that comes from the in the moment improvisational reaction to the players. I think that might just be. Because we we've admitted this, you're a little less experienced with us than than Bruce and I. I think that might just come in the next decade or so where you you pick that up. Because I didn't get into things like that until. Isn't that encouraging to know that you got ten years to work this out? Well, yeah, it, it, it just I notice that that's more of an advanced gamer, advanced GM type tactic, and Jonathan, that will just come with experience. That's it's what gonna, I, say. It, I mean, I know I've gotten yeah. better over the years, and it's just something I, I constantly still strive for. It's, I, I, I definitely like looking back 10, 20 years ago. I mean, you, you couldn't have pulled that off to save your life. Yeah. Yeah. Nowadays, I feel like I can do it, but I want to get better at it. I let want me, to let have, me, you know, I want guess. to be able to have a world that I say, all right, let me spend a week plotting out the adventure, no more. And now let's run it. And you know what? I didn't use 
anything I planned, but we still had fun, and yet it's still on track. Yeah. Uh, let me guess, for certain aspects of this that you're trying to get, it's like the brass ring. You're feeling it's just out of reach. You know mm-hmm. it's there, and when that moment hits, you'll realize it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's yep. one of those things you're always you're always striving for. Even if you never attain it, you're still going to try for it. Well, I don't know. It, to me, it sounds like you're. It, it's that one of those things you're trying to do something, you're just missing that final component. I think that's where the stage that you're at, because as I said, you've been doing this now for 20 years. You are, you are another GM of no slight amount of experience. And it's kind of like, okay, I, it's there. I can taste it. And just, there's this one little facet of how to do this, that once I get it, boom, that's what I'm getting from what you just said. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe I'll wake up tomorrow and I'll suddenly have it. There you go. There you go. You know it's there on the tip of your tongue. Just out of reach. Yep. Okay. Well, I have three things that I'm working on. Um, The first one is communication with NPCs. Uh, In the case of friendly, uh, getting them to create beneficial alliances for both. Uh, right now, the um, the problem I have is that the players just won't engage with them beyond the needs of their current goal. You know, you you need a uh, uh, you know you you need a a, a a a a piece of equipment. They'll go straight to the person who has this equipment. Oh, go talk to them, and then they'll leave, and they won't engage with any of the other NPCs in an entire town. Okay, they don't, they haven't ever really gotten, unless I force them to. And it, yeah, it, it's, but then you get into the whole railroading thing. That's that, that's that slippery slope. Yeah. So I have to find ways of, of, of letting them see how these could, these relationships could be beneficial to them. Ah, gotcha. Okay. So in the long term, you know, not, yep. not just the short term. So, you know, they're, they're a little too focused on, on, task at hand so that's i'm trying to work with making these characters more interesting uh but also um more engaging to them um it's 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 a it's a real challenge okay and in regards to antagonistic npcs uh getting them to create non-threatening relationships with antagonistic npcs that still fulfill the primary goals of those opponents okay in other words you know we don't want to go and take the bad, uh, not necessarily a bad guy, not the primary bad guy, but sometimes there are people that are against them, okay? That see them yeah. as a threat, see them as competition, see them as an annoyance, okay? And and getting them to basically wor- get into a working relationship with those NPCs is, is really difficult because they don't want to, okay? They have real empathy issues with opponents, Okay, they they basically want targets to knock down in creative ways. Okay, they uh, and as a result, a lot of times the games, uh, especially Bureau Thirteen, runs more like an action movie than a procedural, which Bureau Thirteen is is usually involves investigation. But they have a lot of trouble talking to people who don't want to talk to them, or who are afraid to talk to them because somebody else is threatening them. Mm. You see. 
and but they act antagonistic and they don't understand that this person doesn't want to talk to you, not because they don't want to talk to you because of you, but because they're afraid of what's going to happen to them and their loved ones if they do. So that I'm encouraging them to do that is a real challenge for me, and I'm, I'm working on that, okay? Second, working with other team members. I really, I, I felt like, that's why I was so happy with the success I was able to do with the Against the L's uh, campaign, because they had to work together to, to fulfill, you know, to fulfill what they wanted to do. You know, they couldn't make these nuclear, magical nuclear weapons without working together, because they each had a piece of the pie that they needed. They weren't supposed to make nuclear weapons, but they did anyways, and they still needed to work with each other. But, <laughs> uh, and so what I'm trying to do is get them to work together to let multiple characters shine at the same time. Yeah. Okay, I can admit that's something that I try to give singular spotlight to. Yeah, I've noticed it's very rare for me, and I think that might just be my wiring, folks, and I know it. It's something I'm, it's going to take a lot longer for me to work. But I do get that, Bruce. I feel your pain there about trying to let more than one person have the spotlight at the same time. Because you want everybody to have their spotlight, but then you don't want that one person to feel, oh, I got to share my spotlight. I'm showcasing myself, and I got to do it with the guy across the table. This is my time. I get you. Yeah, but see, that's also what I'm trying to do with the uh, the Fringeborn because they're trying to get these kids, you know, they don't want to do it themselves. They're all high-level characters. They could easily do this stuff themselves. They're trying to get these kids to do it. They're trying to let these kids work, get these kids to work together, share the spotlight, do something worthwhile, and everybody gets basically credit for it when that happens. The kids get credit for doing it. They get credit for encouraging the kids to do it. So I'm trying to just, you know, the idea of like you helping someone else do well is, is something for you to be proud of. So that's a challenge that I'm doing right here with this whole thing with them and trying to get that through, okay? And then the final thing is identifying novel ways to use generalized equipment to meet mutating needs in novel environments. That's a big sentence. What I'm saying here is, yeah. is that they, they, it's like if it isn't purpose built, it, I don't have it. Okay? So when I had them build the boat, they, like one character said, well, I'm just going to go and reprogram my robot to turn himself into a big giant boat. We all can hop in and, and float away. And I'm like, or the person with the giant robot, not that, uh, I'm sorry, uh, there, we have two robots. Okay, the, the, the person with the giant robot said, well, I'll just go and carry ferry people over to the island with my giant robot, and we don't have to build a boat. And I'm like, going, don't you think building a boat is like a thing that these kids could do, and maybe that would be worth doing? And they're all like, well, yeah, I guess. And then, so they had to go and take stock of their environment. They had to see what equipment they had. They had to ask the kids, what equipment do you have in your backpacks that they didn't even know about? Okay. And yeah. So they, and between the adults and the kids, they were able to build this boat. And it, which basically included trees, thin uh, trees that were woven, thin trees that were woven together to make basically a framework that were covered over 
with very thin tamellar plastic tarps to make them waterproof. And yeah. they also, to make give it more stability, they took the inflatable CO2 tents. They're from the very earliest days of Fridgeworthy. They inflated them and put them on the sides of the boat to kind of be like outriggers to give them more stability. And then finally, they took the robot and they put it in the water to act as basically the engine. Nice. So, now, of course, this whole thing is like really like, you know, not well put together because, of course, kids did it. You know, not a, not a single person here is, has a skill in shipwright. Okay. So we had to keep the speed down to about 20 miles an hour. But that meant they could get to the place they were trying to get to about 10 miles away in about a half hour or so. Yeah. Yeah. So it was yeah. doable. Meanwhile, they, they, they get attacked by a carnivorous, uh, basically the equivalent of, uh, of oh, um, piranha, but they're flying fish. So they're flying oh, into the boat. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and they're having to deal with that. You know, wow, that's a jerk move. Carnivorous flying yes, fish. Yes, thank you. Wow. Well, I mean, they knew there was stuff out there they had to watch out for. Their biggest thing is just to keep moving. Just keep moving. Try to keep ahead of it. Well, no, actually, actually, Bruce, I figured, yeah, you kind of went light. You could have just done a plesiosaur like Nessie out there in the water and just, yeah. You went easy on them. Yeah, no, I did, but of course they're, you know, so, and they all have to work together to fight them. You know? Yeah. So, unfortunately, that, that turned out very badly. One of the, one of the uh, adult characters decided, okay, enough of this, and he basically set electricity all over the place, which basically knocked half the kids unconscious. <laughs> I don't know what these kids that you told me about here. I'm not seeing that as much of a problem. The adults actually got a bit of peace and quiet. Yeah, for a while. well, you yeah, know, it's, it's it's kind of embarrassing when you basically knocked your charge unconscious. Well, yeah, 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 <laughs> and also it's kind of when the when the 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 mentor characters do that, it doesn't give the players of the kid characters a lot of agency. They wake up and it's like. You did that to me. Oh, I'm, you I'm son of except for we have one player who's playing one of the kids. I'm playing all the other kids, and so okay. yeah, yeah. She her character uh, was one of the ones that got knocked unconscious. Not too happy about that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But getting them to like say just just to go and say, hey, we have this equipment. What can we do with it? How can we do things differently? You know, and and not do the the obvious. You know, oh, I've got something that produces any element. Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll create, you know, a huge bag of hydrogen. We'll turn it into a flamethrower. You know, something a little bit more creative than that. You know, so they, they maybe reagents that they can use to mix and, and, and turn into things like other stuff. You know, plastics and whatever. You know, they... And, and so that's my challenge is the, these three things are, are what I'm still working on. And I have been working on for many years now. <laughs> so it's, uh, uh, you know, I, I, and, and some of it's my fault. I, I freely admit I'm not, uh, um, you know, I sometimes get a little bit too involved in my own um, drama, my own um, narrative. Okay. I want to get yeah. them to the next thing that I think is cool. And sometimes I don't do enough work along the way to, but you know, it's, but, and it's also them where, like I said, they tend to be a little bit more. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, uh, and I don't know if it's because it's the theater of the mind and that's just part of it. Uh, but uh, like I said, it's, uh, 
uh, it's something I'm working on. I've, I'm, I'm challenged by it. I, I've seen some success. I'm positive that uh, if I, I may never reach my goal, but if I don't, I've had, a, I'll, I'll at least feel like I've made a real effort to, you know, bring the awesome to my table, which is what we're all about. Yep. Okay. So, uh, anyways, uh, uh, thanks everybody for listening to us uh, about the things that we've done to challenge ourselves in the past two years, things that we're continuing to challenge ourselves with. And um, I wasn't able to tell you all the things that we were we had done, uh, such as rescuing the Antichrist or uh, ha having a lot a number of adventures uh, fighting the shadow works, um, even uh, uh, a, a huge uh, a rescue on Pluto. And uh, but what I guess but that's something we'll have to talk to you about in some future episode. So. You'll have to wait until then. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.